Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And... <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and edit that. Whatever it is. <laughs> 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 it get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another pantherific episode of Comics. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight. And joining me tonight on this special Black Panther tie-in episode are a bevy of fan holes. Why don't you guys give a shout-out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, it's Mike the Devil Panther. Or the Panther Devil, whatever. Hey, this is Justin. Hey, guys, this is Tony. And despite the fact that my fresh wounds are opening again and every rivulet of blood is seeping down my back, I will fight on through the pain because I am the Panther. Awesome. So yeah, this is definitely a Black Panther film tie-in episode. The film should be released sometime around when you're listening to this. It's slated for February 16th, 2018 release. And I, I have to say, I sort of twisted everybody's arm because this, what we're going to discuss tonight, is a run from... Marvel Comics' second volume of Jungle Action, and it's issues 6 through 18, and it is titled Panther's Rage, is the kind of uniform title for the run. And this is something that basically, you know, as we like to joke, you know, in private amongst ourselves, this was on my list for, like, the longest time, and and I I was always hearing things about this, how it was a seminal run, and, and how it was widely regarded from, you know, internal professionals like, like Dwayne McDuffie, but also, you know, by the fans as well, from people who, you know, wrote issues for Back Issue and, and, and other fan publications and everything. So this was something that was sort of on my radar, on my list, but I had never sat down and made the time to to read it. And when the topic came up of you know, are we going to do anything for the Black Panther film when it comes out? I suggested that we read this. And I know, you know, some other folks suggested some other things, too. And I, I guess I sort of made an executive decision. So I just want to say thanks to everybody for sort of going along with me on my little flight of fancy here. I, I hope everybody at least got some enjoyment out of it. 
But I, I think what I was planning you on... You twisted our arm. Yes, yes. Fuck you! Yes, yes. I totally, <laughs> I totally twisted everybody's arm to do this. I was like, we are doing this. I am... I am King Tadaric, and we're doing this. But yeah, so I, I, I think the mission statement will be maybe just to start out with is is maybe give some some background on our first exposure to the character Black Panther, like maybe where you were first introduced to him and everything, and then maybe I'll go into sort of a not not a lengthy synopsis of the run, but I actually grabbed some some stuff from an article from Back Issue that I think will succinctly sort of give the listeners, if they haven't, you know, read the arc, kind of a, a rudimentary idea of what it is we're about to go into. So I guess because I'm I'm seeing all these different avatars in front of me, I see a Gil Kane image of Black Panther about to be chowed down by a T-Rex, and that is Justin's avatar. So I'm going to ask him, and apparently Gil Kane did all the covers with dinosaurs on them for this run because he liked drawing dinosaurs, is what the word on the street was. But I'm kind of curious, like, where were you first exposed to Black Panther? And maybe you could give the listeners maybe some details on, you know, maybe your history with, with the character. I just remember seeing him on the covers of like old Avengers comics, you know, like I've I've told the story before, but you know, my my uncle he had an extensive collection of comics from like golden age to like mid to like seventies. And I'd I would often just like browse through the issues and like look at the covers because I was kind of fascinated by, you know, like Jimmy Turtle Boy and, you know, swordsman throwing Captain America off a building. I'm just like, whoa, like this these seem like interesting stories. And I remember seeing some like issues of Avengers, you know, sometime in the seventies and you know, seeing Black Panther like I I don't know why, but I just thought he was like Marvel's version of Batman for some reason. Maybe it was like the ears on the costume. But and, and I, I like I said, I don't know why I thought this, but like I I just thought he was like the Avengers Batman. And you know, then Later on, I read some Avengers issues from that era, and then I'm like, oh, so he's, you know, he's not got anything to do with bats. He's a Black Panther, and he's a black guy. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I've read, like, every issue from that, you know, Avengers Volume 1, and, like, there's there's some good stuff in there from, like, like when Roy Thomas takes over until, like, you know, a little ways past, like, the Celestial Madonna and then, like, the Korvac saga and all that. Like, there's some really great stories in there. And Black Panther is kind of, like, sprinkled into some of those stories. So, like, whenever he was key to those events, I would kind of pay attention. And I have read some of his solo adventures. Like, I've read some Jungle Action. Or I don't think I'd read these 12 issues that, you know, we're reading tonight. Like, I'd read some stuff. With, it was, like, you know, Jack Kirby art, and it was, like... Pike Panther, like, searching for, like, the golden frog and whatnot. And then, you know, there's, like, a few miniseries. Like, there was a miniseries in the 80s. I forget, you know, who the creators were, but I just remember I remember thinking, like, that was a pretty good miniseries. And then, of course, you know, like, in the late 90s, early 2000s, Wizard was, like, heavily promoting, like, the Marvel Knights, like, Priest. Run. And, like, I, I remember reading some issues from that, but I just, I don't know, like, it, it took me a while to kind of get into reading that run. Like, I think maybe I read, like, the first couple of trades, and then by the time I was, like, looking for more Black Panther to read, it was the Hudlin run, uh, and I know you, okay. you know, 
I know you and you know you and I feel the exact same way about that. And I just remember flipping through it at the comic book store, and I was like, "What is this? Like, I don't, I don't think this is for me." That's kind of my history with the Black Panther. Yeah, you know? I mean, that's kind of a, you know, scatter shot kind of history. But like, I, you know, it's funny. Like when we were sitting down trying to figure out what we wanted to read, you know, in concert with the movie, I kind of was like, you know, I like the Black Panther, but I can't really name very many prominent stories that feature him or maybe any like really great solo stories that feature him or anything like that. So, you know, I guess that I guess I'm not as big as, you know, I'm either not as big as a fan of that as I thought, or I just haven't read a whole lot of his like, you know, back issues and history and stuff. I think too, sometimes like I, I, I guess I'm, I'm doing a, a private little list to myself and I was telling Mike about it where I, I was kind of going through and there was this thing on Facebook where people were like, you know, list a favorite movie for each year that you've lived. Right. And so I was like, Oh, I wonder if I could do that with comics, you know? So I started going through and for a lot of the early years, I felt like it was a lot easier to, isolate like a single issue of a comic book but i think you know the further you go and the more things are written for the trade and i'm sure we'll discuss this you know with panther's rage i mean it was by design you know a multi-chapter serialized story you know that sort of had a beginning a middle and an end and and it's almost like you're you know you you can't you know you can't say oh well you know jungle action 15 is my favorite black panther story ever it's kind of like you have to you know, you, you, you have to read the whole thing, you know, and, and it, it, it's kind of like Voyager a year of hell, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to, you can't, you can't isolate one of the chapters and then kind of single it out as a, you know, a, a, and praise that part of the storyline. It's like, you sort of have to, you know, watch or read, you know, the fiction in its entirety. And, and I kind of feel the same way about, the, the Christopher Priest run. I mean, I, I think it's a, a seminal run, probably. And I think Tony was probably the one who may have suggested we read some of that for this episode. But I, I think also like that, it was, it's difficult for me to nail down. It's like, well, then what do you read? Do you know what I mean? It's like, that's like, you know, what, 60 odd issues that are good issues. Yep. But you're like, yeah. you're like, holy crap, like, what do you you know, what do you focus on? What do you hold up as a pinnacle of that run? And and sometimes it becomes difficult because it's, it's, it's much simpler and maybe lazier to just kind of go, oh, well, the whole damn thing's good, you know? And then, but then, <laughs> then you have no focus. But that's like the issue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, so in, in this sense, like, I, I, I guess I was kind of looking for things that I had heard, you know, that were, you know, and, and this always came up, like, you know, like I said, whether it was from industry professionals or, you know, just from, from fans and everything. But since, since we're, we're chatting with Tony now on the call, what, what about you, man? Like, I, I, I don't know if I know this or not. Like, what's your, what's your history with, with Black Panther? Like, do you have memories of like when you sort of first encountered him? Like, whether it was comics or other media or, or what have you? Well, I, I was recently informed tonight that some people call him Chala. Sorry, he's T'Challa to me. He's always going to be T'Challa to me. That's how I grew up with him. So, Sorry, we were talking about the Rachel Ghoul, Rachel Ghoul thing earlier, but he's always been T'Challa to me. He's been the Black Panther. And for some stupid reason, I don't know why, I actually had the knowledge early on he debuted in the Fantastic Four, which he did. That was his first appearance. He was a Fantastic Four cameo, and he came in, and he was, you know, 
the leader of Wakanda. I don't have a lot of reference for him. I do know that he was Avenger, an Avenger, but one of the main things I know about him is he's the, what leads to, I think, what also Justin was saying about him being like a Batman character is he's very mysterious. And he also has an, a high intellect, despite like, you know, a lot of people thinking that like, oh, he's he's controlling this tribe in Africa. But Wakanda is incredibly technologically advanced. They are the sole provider of vibranium, which is like a very valuable and important metal in the Marvel Universe. It, it basically dampens sound. You know, it doesn't take sound in. It just like kills it. And he's built an entire kingdom off of this. And the Avengers comics I read, one of the main things I remember is basically Black Panther coming in and stealing Tony's wallet, like intellectually. Like he would just like just just fuck him up as far as smarts. He would he was like kind of a spy, but not really. He wasn't trying to like, you know, screw over the Avengers, but Tony would be very you know, self-arrogant, you know, self-assured and just be like, you know, well, what are you doing, Panther? You're like turning against us. Like, no, Tony, you're kind of doing some wrong things. And like, that was like the 90s comics where like Tony was kind of back and forth. He was doing some dubious things sometimes. It was like the armor wars. And he always seemed to be that guy in the background. And I respected him because much like Namor, he's got his own shit to worry about. You know, Namor has, a, you know, Atlantis, and T'Challa has, you know, Wakanda. And he's not really worried about the outside world unless it fucks with him. And he's also had adventures with the Avengers, and he's done things with those superheroes, and that's influenced him. And this actually does show up in this, you know, I guess you say miniseries within a series, you know, this very nice 12-issue arc where he, he even, like, you know, reminisces about, like, you know, the outside world has kind of gotten to his head and he does enjoy being in the Western world. And that's kind of cool. It's like, I always thought of him as more of a standoffish character, but he actually has formed friendships and bonds and reading this was really kind of cool. It was like, I got to see more of him as a character where I hadn't seen him more of his character before I saw more of his, like this, like mysterious hand who was just like, you know, Tony, you're being, you know, suspicious, you know, I'm going to like do this read you know like you're not the smartest guy in the world i'm also smart too you may be smarter than me but you don't understand like you know common you know you know how people live you know they 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 need certain things you see the logical output but i see the the spiritual thing and that i think that's like what black panther is he's a spiritual side he's not magical well in some ways he is he has had a ritual that made him more strong and more you know light he is the black panther but he is a more emotional character. He doesn't just go by his intellect. He also cares about his people, you know, and that is in a stark contrast to like characters like Dr. Strange or Reed Richards, who sometimes take more intellectual avenues as far as defending the, the world. I think T'Challa is a, a really strong character and it was really cool to read this series. And we'll get more into like his strength of character as we talk about it. I was aware of him i thought he looked cool t'challa looks cool black panther is a great design <laughs> we'll make a joke later i won't spoil it because i know mike wants to do it the the costume is amazing he's a very very honest and very noble character he is a king of his country and it was nice to see him be portrayed in this light and not be you know unfortunately as derek has said in some 
references overpowered. He's just a man who who fights for his people. So th- this was like, yeah, this is a good read. We'll we'll go into why this is a good read later on. Yeah, I I think the 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 reference you made I think is mainly to the priest run where they're sort of trying to reconcile possibly like readers like me, like my first impressions of the Black Panther with how they sort of wanted to present him in the 90s, you know, kind of, I guess the comparison's already been made to Batman, but, you know, Batman himself had his own sort of Grant Morrison, you know, bat god, you know, you know, super meticulous, you know, bat prep time kind of fan aura that he had throughout those those years, which, you know, has carried over into modern day. And I, I think the same thing could be ascribed to T'Challa in that sense. Like, you know, the the idea that in that priest run, you know, they looked at all those issues of the Avengers that he was in and kind of said, oh, well, he was really there sort of spying on the Avengers, you know, keeping tabs on them, essentially, in case they were a threat to his country type thing. And like, that was a way for them to sort of retcon or reconcile any perceived inconsistencies with this sort of prep time god intelligence aura type capable kingly person you know because i i think for me like my i i think the first time i remember seeing the black panther was in like the the spiky thing era of the fantastic four because i i remember when him and and miss marvel crashed and went through the gamma rays again and he became spiky thing and she became lumpy orange thing and they made out and creeped me out and everything like when they first crash like i think one of the places they land is in wakanda and of course black panther's there kind of you know he's the king but he's kind of shaking in his boots because these two scary orange monsters are you know, wrecking up shop and losing crap over, you know, their transformation and everything. And I think the next time I saw him was in the Korvac saga, where, of course, he's shitting his pants over Korvac. is like, here, take the girl! Like him and fucking Hank Pym or a bunch of lowlifes or whatever. And they're like, take the girl, don't kill us or whatever. Like that that was kind of my impression of, of these guys, where I think with like, say, DC heroes in general, I kind of viewed them as kind of morally upright, whereas... You know, the Marvel characters were, were probably even more than just flawed. Like they, 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 there, there were points where they, they seemed kind of reprehensible in certain ways to me. So like, I, I don't think I immediately glommed on to Avengers type characters and stuff like that. So I, I, I never, I, I probably never had a good first impression of the Black Panther. But as far as like later in, terms of solo stories i think the christopher priest run is the the run that i'm the most familiar with and it's not so much that like i sought that out on my own but kind of like what justin was saying like wizard was really pimping and promoting that run and because i had friends who read wizard and they were being pimped and promoted too they bought those either trades or single issues or whatever so mainly sort of uh, you know through you know, the, the, the notion that, you know, I did not buy every single comic I read back then, you know, it's like, you know, I, I kind of bought my comics and my friends bought their comics and occasionally, you know, especially in that era, the, the late nineties, early two thousands, you know, we might all go to the store on Wednesday on release date and we'd buy our own stuff and we might go out to lunch or, you know, go back to our apartments or whatever and then hang out. And, and as opposed to me just blowing through my stack of books in like 20 minutes, it's like I'd blow through my stack of books and then I'd read theirs, you know, and like that's that's kind of how I did things for a long time. I and mean, that, that that's kind of how I read 
like mutant x like i would never have spent money on mutant x on my own but it's like it's like other people bought mutant x so i was like oh fuck it i'll read this you know and it was the same thing with black panther it's like yeah fine i'll read this and i think because of that i ended up buying a few of the trades you know of my own volition or whatever because i did enjoy you know what i read of that run in particular and everything you know i i remember when like the wizard world showdown boards would erupt into a frenzy because you know Thor got shot in like issue 12 or whatever and everybody was arguing over whether his hammer could deflect bullets or he could resist bullets and you know everybody was going ape shit over stuff like that so I mean I have I have distinct memories of that run being you know seminal and important for people you know reading at the time and everything and 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 for people's gateway into you know Black Panther as a solo character and everything but but before we wrap up and go into synopses and and kind of talk about the story proper what about you Mike like what is your kind of first introduction to Black Panther as a character and and you know your kind of personal history with the character I know like I knew like I I had read some Avengers comics where he appeared in but I don't think he was a major part of them and like I knew he existed but I think the first time I really like took notice of him was like in the 90s Fantastic Four cartoon when he showed up and he was voiced by like Keith David and like I think that episode was just like a straight adaptation of his first appearance wasn't it? Like, when he, he kind of, like, takes on the Fantastic Four and, like, tries to defeat them just to, yeah. like, test himself. Yeah, that, yeah. That, most of those, so, yeah, a lot of those were, like, uh, like the Daredevil one and the Panther one. A lot of those early cartoons were, you know, yeah, you know, fairly was, decent adaptations of the original material. It was, it's funny because, like, because of that, it's, like, my impression of the Fantastic Four for a while was kind of, like, did they just go around, like, picking fights with, like, monarchs of, like, other nations or something? <laughs> like... You know, you've got Doctor Doom, Namor, like Black Panther. I was like, did they go picking fights with all these foreign leaders or whatever? I I kind of I kind of feel like like Black Panther picked the fight with them, but that that's yeah. just me. But yeah, I I could see why you'd think that after a while because you know it's like what they're they're fighting the Inhumans, they're fighting Namor, they're fighting Doctor Doom, they're fighting the Black Panther. You're like, oh, they, yeah, they clearly have a problem with royalty. And then eventually, it's like they someone like you know Brian Michael Bendis like stole my idea and made the illuminati or whatever and put all those characters like on the same team or you know whatever but no but i mean that was really my first and like strongest impression of uh t'challa and like yeah like i've always thought he was cool like i've never had a huge like affinity for him or anything but uh, you know I, he's always good in a like you know a team situation and uh, like I, I like I, there's varying degrees of like how much he like cooperates with the Avengers and you know sometimes he's got like th when Jeff Johns was writing Avengers he was kind of like the Batman on that team where you know Iron Man like didn't trust him and shit and like Black Panther was always saying like oh you're all just chess pieces to me or whatever so I mean there's that but then there's you know there's the stuff that like Justin describes like, you know, the Roy Thomas stuff where he's just, you know, a, a, a good guy, you know, like a member of the team and whatever. So, I mean, there's a wide range of portrayals of him. And as far as like other Black Panther like reading I've done, like I, I read like the first run, like arc of Reginald Hudlin's run because like it was like infamous and like, you know, I wanted to see like how bad it was and it's pretty bad. And like I watched like the motion comic adaptation of that. So you know that we could we could do a whole like session of like someplace cold on that probably but that's not what we're here for so 
like I said, I think I've always liked him in context of interacting with other teams. Like, you know, I, I think he was a good addition, like to the uh, earth's mightiest heroes, like team, like him. I, I liked his like bromance with Hawkeye, like on that show, kind of like, that was pretty cool. And I'm kind of like, I'm almost kind of sad that they like kind of wussed out at the end of that show and like, didn't kill him off. And that the Cree episodes, like, like that would have been a cool, like, I don't know, like Mark for that show to leave, but like, I guess, you know, he had to like Batman his way out of that, but like, and that's not a mark against the character. I just think it was a really dramatic and like heroic way for him to like, you know, have his last moments or whatever. But, you know, it was just like the next episode. It's just like, look, T'Challa is still alive after all. Like, yo, Joe. (laughs) Duke's alive. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like I said, that's not a mark against the character. It's just like, you know, he's a noble and heroic character. And I think he lends himself to those kind of grand gestures. So, like, yeah, but, you know, I I liked him and I I enjoyed reading this. So, like, I, I guess we should get into it. Yeah, yeah. I I think just to to pick up on one of your comments that you like how he works uh, as a team player, you know, without going into detail of the, you know, the modern books that I don't care for too much. I'd say like the last thing of the most modern thing I've read where I, I did enjoy him and the book itself for the most part was reading that post Secret Wars Ultimates book where, you know, it was... Kenneth Roquefort and and he's part of that team with like Captain Marvel and uh, the Blue Marvel and Miss America and all that stuff like and and in that context he's also you know a, a team player so so in that sense I mean I I'd, I'd agree with the assessment in general because I I think that you know that was a book that was even in a modern context was still you know enjoyable to me so I I definitely go along with that. <laughs> Beginning in 2018, the Who's Who podcast enters the 1990s with our coverage of the Loose Leaf editions. Featuring Superman by Jerry Ordway. The Joker by Brian Bolland. Wonder Woman by George Perez. Sandman by Mike Dringenberg. Batman by Norm Brayfogle. The JLI by Adam Hughes. Eclipso by Bart Sears. The Legion of Superheroes by Keith Giffen. Dark Stars by Travis Charest. Lobo by Simon Bisley. Kent Shakespeare by Chris Sprouse? Who is that? Doomsday by Tom Grummet. Wait, are we covering these by issue or in alphabetical order? The Justice Society of America by Mike Parabek. The Forever People again? You are f***ing kidding me. Doom Patrol by Richard Case. <sighs> I'm so confused. And many more. The Who's Who Podcast, going boldly into the 90s. A proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I guess. But as far as getting into the the nitty-gritty here, Panther's Rage ran through Jungle Action Volume 2 from issues 6 to 18, and it ran from June 1972 to August 1975. And the reason why it took so damn long is apparently Jungle Action came out every two months. So it wasn't like a a monthly book or it wasn't shipped, you know, uh, you know, bi-monthly or whatever. Like it was, it was, you know, every two months there was a new issue. So it took a long time to get these, you know, it probably took, you know, close to, you know, two years to get, you know, or, or longer to get these, this series of issues that we're discussing you know, released and everything. 
as far as the stock blurb that's in a lot of online places, the stock blurb is that Stan Lee and Jack Kirby created an unprecedented string of classic comic book heroes, but quite possibly the most iconic of them all was the high-tech king of Wakanda, the Black Panther. When the Panther began his own solo series, writer Don McGregor strove to meet Lee and Kirby's high standard with Panther's Rage, an epic adventure so huge it ranged across the savannah, into the deepest jungles, and up snow-topped mountains. Over its course, McGregor would explore and expand the life and culture of the Wakandans and their African kingdom in compelling detail. And then the other thing that I just wanted to read, like I said, to give people a, a brief idea of kind of what this whole arc was about at the time, there's an article in Back Issue Magazine from Tom Stewart, so I'm just going to read a little bit of his article here just to lay down the groundwork as well. So it turns out Marvel's only edict for this was that you know, they didn't really care so much about what the story was, they just wanted to make sure that these issues of jungle action were set in Africa. That was Marvel's only stipulation. Set it in Africa. Okay. Dawn launched the Black Panther series with jungle action issue number six, starting what would become the first multi-issue arc, Panther's Rage. Even though the Black Panther actually took over Jungle Action with issue 5, this was a reprint of T'Challa's battle with Manape from Avengers issue number 62. The issue featured an all-new, all-spiffy Panther vs. Manape cover by John Romita Sr. Panther's Rage ran for 13 issues, introduced Eric Killmonger, a major nemesis of the Panther, and returned T'Challa to a kingdom that had suffered in his absence. Rage concerns the culture shock Wakanda is experiencing as T'Challa drags them into the 20th century using wealth gained from vibranium. That and the fact that he has been absent and has an outworlder girlfriend had made the country ripe for a revolution led by Killmonger. It is a challenge to the rule and philosophy of the Panther and one he has to fight even at times fighting his own people. Don was thinking of the arc as a graphic novel even before the term had come into general use, using the Old Republic serials as a model of action. But in a bi-monthly book as Jungle Action was, it'd be two months before the resolution. Would the Panther survive Killmonger throwing him off the cliff? Find out in 60 days! Also, there was the problem of readers remembering characters and storylines from issue to issue. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just end that there, but I, I think that gives people a basic gist of kind of the, the story that was trying to be told. Now, I, I, I guess I'll ask you guys this too, but my, my initial gut reaction to reading that this was the first multi-issue story arc in comics, I, I kind of felt like, like, I, I think my gut reaction was, that's got to be bullshit, right? Like, that can't be right. Like, and, and I, I started thinking about it, and then I did start looking at, like, newsstand distribution and what was out at the time during this and what had come before it. And, I mean, I guess I guess I see what they're saying. Like, this this is clearly, like, intended to be one single story from, you know, that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And he kind of cleverly did it so that every issue even though they were different stories and had different titles, they were all sort of under the banner of Panther's Rage. Now, 
this is stuff that obviously predates Chris Claremont's X-Men. It, it kind of predates Jim Starlin's Warlock, even though I think it was almost like, I mean, they, they're almost around the same time, but I, I think this is even before that. So, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe you can argue like, you know, Wolfman and Colin's Dracula was just getting started up too. But even then, like, I, I don't think it was quite as into the the long form narrative as this was. So I I mean, you know, I guess I guess not. I mean, I don't know. Can you guys think of anything else? Or or, or do you think this is pretty like, you know I, I don't I, I guess what I'm getting at is do you think this is hyperbole or do you do you kind of go, oh yeah, this I guess this is the first kind of, you know, sort of graphic novel, serialized, you know, beginning, middle, end kind of comic book storyline. I, I would give it credit for being a very trade paperback worthy. I think you could get like the whole series as a trade paperback and you would have a very fulfilling read. As far as that goes, a lot of the stories were one or two or three parts. So a continuing story wasn't unheard of, but not maybe in this long of a form. So maybe that's what gives us a little bit of credence as far as that goes. And also, despite varying artists being on this, I did kind of get continuity of style. Like there was like I think three artists, maybe four, who worked on this entire series as far as Rage of the uh, Panther. But the the styles complement each other, and like the art is beautiful, especially the coloring for a four color comic. So I can kind of see how this was supposed to be a big arc that had never been done before. But I mean, there was the Korvac saga and stuff like that. But those were, you know, you know, dipping the toes in like, you know, multi-issue, multi-comic events. Well, I think I think all that stuff came later too. That's, yeah, that's yeah, the whole exactly. thing. Yeah. Like that. That's why yeah. I was like, I was trying to think of like, hmm, like were there multi-story arcs that I can think of? And I mean, I, I get that there was there were subplots, there were ongoing narratives. I mean, you could collect spider-man versus the green goblin in a trade and you can see it as an ongoing narrative but i don't think they specifically set out to be like all right you know steve you and me we're gonna do 12 issues and by the end of it gwen stacy's gonna die and you know the the goblin is gonna you know know peter parker's identity and all that stuff that like happened over years and years and years and then later somebody looked back and kind of you know smushed it all together into uh, a trade but this i think you know had the the intent from from the beginning and and he talks about it in a lot of interviews and and forwards and everything and I'll I'll get more into that as we as we talk about some of the characters and stuff but you know it sounds I think, I think like most, I think it, one of the most telling things is is like the first two issues have backup side stories about jungle action then after this it's more about black panther and it's more about like you know here's some classic art here's here's to get you recapped on this because they want you to keep up with the story if right. you jump in late. And, that, so and I that's, think that's by design. Yeah. I mean, he, you yeah, know, exactly. like McGregor talks about how people in the bullpen were pissed off at him for doing that because he, he I guess they looked at it as he was giving them extra stuff for free. Like those were supposed to be five pages of shitty reprints from Marvel Atlas 50 comics where it's just, you know, I don't know, some you know, Kazar Tarzan knockoff, you know, swinging around like George of the Jungle or some shit, right? <laughs> Lord and, of the Jungle Girl, yeah. You know, and they, and they were just supposed to reprint 
you know, like that, that's what jungle action started out as a reprint book, you know, it was, and, and, and I think the idea was McGregor yeah, the was main, the main story and the backup story. Yeah. He, he was editing this book and kind of going, yeah, I, I guess, you know, I don't know. It, it's weird. I, I don't know what to believe because in some sense, like some of the stuff I've read with interviews with him, he doesn't take credit for coming up with the idea of black Panther, but yet some stuff I read seems to indicate people do give him credit for thinking of the black Panther, but it sounds like the way he tells the story, he just was lamenting like, well, isn't this kind of lame? Like we've got a book called jungle action and all these stories are set in Africa and none of the lead characters are, you know, African, like, like that seems kind of silly you know, in, in, you know, 1972, 1973. Well, I mean, and, well, that's like, that's you know. the best ethnic, like, idea, is if you have a character who actually has that basis, instead of, like, you know, making a character, you know, like, whatever ethnicity, why not take that character who has that, like, you know, background and make a great story from it? That makes fucking total sense to me. Yeah, yeah. it's not like you're you're trying to put some conformity to something that doesn't already have the context, right? You're just using something that, that, and I, I guess that's why the Black Panther worked, whether it was, you know, Marvel editorial suggestion or whether it was something that McGregor came up with. It sounds like Marvel just said, all right, well, we'll use the Black Panther and we're going to give you this book. And I think he, he also worked on Kill Raven uh, around the same time is, is the way the, the story goes. And so he's Which is writing a really, really good miniseries too. Like, yeah, you know, it was and, short, and, but yeah, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so he's working on these books all at the same time. And, and then, you know, I, I, I guess I just thought I'd bring it up as far as that goes. Now, you, you touched on the art. Now, the first three chapters are done by Rich Buckler, which I really, really liked. I I kind of wish there was an alternate universe where Rich Buckler drew this <laughs> whole thing. Like, that yeah, I could, you know, really that, that I could yeah. go to in, you know, I don't know, in uh, what what's the what was the, the show on? uh Fox with uh, Pacey from Dawson's Creek, like whatever. Fringe. Like, yeah, I wish I could go to the Fringe alternate universe where, where you know, Rich Buckler got to draw like all of the chapters for this and everything. I think by the fourth one, it's not only was Gil Kane doing some of the covers Bill for this, something. but but Gil Kane Bill did. Buckley? No, no, Gil Kane did the fourth issue, but then after that, it was Billy Graham. And, Billy Graham, yeah, and and the reason why I guess that's important is he was an African American artist, so that's I guess in some sense lends a sense of legitimacy to this story as well. Maybe why it's you know heralded by people like Dwayne McDuffie and other you know industry professionals who are also of you know color. So they they you know I think I think that's part of the you know the, the, I guess the, it lends... the art style was it jarring but. You could tell a difference, obviously. Yeah. You know, you know what's interesting is he. I, I looked up some of his his body of work, and I I understand why I've never been exposed to it is because a lot of it was Luke Cage stuff, like early Luke Cage stuff, and a lot of that stuff is kind of I, I don't know how to describe it. It's like it's like gritty cartoony art, I guess. And I, I, does that make sense? Like it's like it's yeah. got a sense of grit to it, but it also kind of doesn't entirely seem realistic at the same time either 
And you know, I, I was there are some comic proportions, like kind of like comedic proportions. I understand that, yeah. You know, and 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 I I enjoyed you know the consistency of it because after that it seems like Billy Graham you know works for the remainder of the arc. So in that sense, I enjoyed the consistency of it. And and this might be something interesting to discuss with you guys, and and you know, feel free to chime in. But my my initial thoughts on it were maybe to blame the writer and the artist where I, I felt like it, it was weird. Cause I, I felt like when I was reading it, my first impressions were, well, man, you know, McGregor must be writing full script. Cause the, you know, this is obviously pre Claremont X-Men, but you get the gist and the vibe of like, a guy like when Todd McFarlane was writing Spawn and there were like these long giant Claremontian passages of dialogue and, and, and there's nobody, a lot of, there's a lot of purple prose in this. Yeah, there, there's, yeah. There's, there's a lot of flowery prose and nobody knew where to put it on the art. And all I could think of is if he was working full script, I, I thought, well, isn't it the responsibility of the artist to make sure the words can fit in what you draw? Or isn't it the responsibility of the writer to then clean up the prose so that it does fit or whatever? And I, I was kind of wrestling with that idea. Now, I, I will admit, uh, Derek, did you have problems sometimes reading the panels? I oh, did yeah. at sometimes, yeah. Yeah, because because you'd have this really nice looking piece of art, and maybe some of the the flowery prose was written on a mountain. And then there might be a line of dialogue, but it didn't really fit in the character's mouth, or the flowery prose completely did not match what was going on the panel. The flowery prose might say, you know, he slapped his butt and rode off into the sunset on a horse. And then, like, <laughs> when, you, when you look at the panel, you just see, like, you know, I don't know, moonlight and, you know, some, you know so basically something that, that sort of didn't exactly sync up with all the flowery prose. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a great read, but it's like, what what is that exactly going on right now? Yeah, Right, and, and I guess... I, you know, that, that, that led to me to think, oh, maybe there's some kind of disconnect. And I don't know if it's, it's a, a matter of, uh, Don McGregor, like having fond memories in retrospect, because I, I ended up reading a lot of forwards because this, this has been reprinted a number of times. I know it's in an epic collection that I think people can get now. And it was part of like a Marvel Masterworks collection. And in that, there's a forward from Don McGregor that goes into a lot of detail and everything. But one of the comments he made, and like I said, this may be just him, you know, remembering the past with rose-colored glasses or whatever, but he had a lot of favorable things to say about Billy Graham. And he considered him his, his ally, where I, I think he got a lot of blowback for, you know, one, even suggesting that, you know, the, the the reprint book should be broken up and have original material. And he was getting blowback because he, you know, he, like you were talking about, Tony, there are all these pinups and, and maps of Wakanda. Like, I thought that was kind of great. Like, it reminded me of like a Tolkien novel where, you know, you had maps of places and you knew where people were traveling to and you knew where the freaking, he made a joke. He's like, oh, we even put in where the toilets are on Wakanda, you know, so it's not like people don't go to the bathroom in Wakanda or what, you know, like basically he's like, yeah. they were taking into account like the realistic nature of what that would be like and everything. And, and, and that in some sense sort of blew my mind because I, I was thinking of, you know, the modern context of maybe some, some stories we don't like too much, you know, like the Hudlin notion that like Wakanda's never been invaded and they always drove back invaders and this and that. And, and in this, you, you kind of see like, well, number one, true? they're, yeah. they're sort of recently becoming a technologically advanced nation because of the vibranium. And it also seems like 
Wakanda itself is divided. Otherwise, you wouldn't have central Wakanda versus like all these other subsects of the map where the panther goes on his travels and, you know, meets all these different, you know, villains that, that sort of ally with Killmonger to, to sort of usurp, you know, the, the rightful rule of T'Challa. It, it is actually kind of like a video game in some ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 so you know, to me, I'm kind of thinking, you know, in my head, if, if I was trying to rationalize it or retcon it, I'm like, well, shit, maybe nobody's ever invaded Central Wakanda, but they sure as fuck have invaded all these other little subsects around Wakanda because clearly there's all these different people in charge of them, or or some of them are almost like you know where it's like Planet of the Apes shit, where you're like, we have not been to the Forbidden Zone, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, no shit, there's a bunch of crazy white gorillas there that'll eat you alive or whatever, so no shit, we haven't gone there, you know, like that that kind of stuff sort of made sense to me and everything. There's there's just like Wakanda, but actually Wakanda is much bigger than he even thought. Yeah, 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 and and I I, I guess trying to go back to you know my original thought was i was kind of blaming maybe the, the a disconnect between the writer and the artist and it seemed like mcgregor you know he may have been remembering with with rose tinted you know goggles or whatever about the past but like he said in his intro he said billy graham was an ally to him so it sounded like they had a good working relationship like they talked to one another and they they understood one another so it seemed like he 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 seemed really happy with the art he was getting back. But one of the comments he made, and, and he, he sort of praised the colorist, and, and like, you know, he was basically talking up all the great people that he was working with to, to accomplish this project that he just wanted to feel good about. He didn't care about all the flack he was getting from the bullpen. He just wanted a book he could be proud of, is, is the basic gist you get. But one of the comments he made on the sly was he's kind of like, well, I was never really so lucky with the letterers. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, like, I, I kind of get it. Now, to be fair, though, like, you're sitting there thinking, well, fuck, what, what did this poor fucking letterer have to work with? I mean, sometimes it's like, okay, you know, it's like the Panther needs to say something. It's like, guess what? The Panther's not on the fucking panel. Like... What, you know, what do you do? Like, what does the poor letterer do? I don't know. But, you know, it's like, it's like that. Those are those kind of things where I, I just kind of thought, like, either they put the letterer into a hard place or, you know, maybe his his version of it probably was he wasn't going to get paid anymore for making it look any better than he would if he did this rush job. And so he just did the rush job. Well, I, I give it to like the same credit as like in the 80s Marvels where like they try to do slang. And this letterer had to do, like, a, a really hard job of making the Wakandans and African tribes sound like genuine Wakandans, you know, like uh, African people, which he probably didn't know much about. So, you know, that that is like a huge monumental task is much different than, like, you know, hey, what's up, Slab? What's on the down low? Instead of like, you know, my chieftain, I honor you with this, you know presence and i hope i do not offend it's like yeah it is kind of a tough thing to like you know make it seem authentic but not patronizing too yeah i, I mean i think that's mostly the writing though but i mean in terms yeah. of the lettering I, I guess it's hard to to quantify in an audio medium but but we're trying our best to you know think of specific examples but i mean what, what about you guys like mike justin like do, do you kind of do you disagree do you agree like do you do you did you notice any disconnect between the writing and the art at times did you did you enjoy the writing and the art like do you have anything to add as far as the, those kind of themes and topics for panther's rage goes 
I did have trouble following like some of the like word bubbles and the narrative boxes like sometimes right. where yeah like I was like wait am I going down more or <laughs> to the right or where am I going yeah oh so, my god I'm reading manga <laughs> especially yeah like on the two page spreads yeah it, it does feel like you know how like traditionally like you know American comics you read from right to left and from up to down you know like that's traditionally what how how you read comics and there's a reason for that right i i kind of felt like you know they they also talked about how this was quote unquote a very special time in the history of marvel where really special projects could get off the ground and even a few years later something like panther's rage would have never flown in the editorial offices and like all i could think of is like i i know they always talk about how you know roy thomas's era as editor-in-chief was kind of like yeah man write your book dude like edit it yourself like it's all good man let's you know whatever they talk about in the untold story where everybody was like smoking weed and writing comics or you know whatever they were doing at marvel back then right and i i always feel like the the narrative is jim shooter came in and everybody hated his guts because he went well shit this doesn't make sense send it back to the letter and have him redo this shit or jim shooter would go redraw this shit this doesn't make any sense you're talking about you know a wonderful sunset and there's no fucking sunset draw the fucking sunset you know like like and people would get mad at him for that but at the same time i mean we're sitting here sort of communicating to you there you know as beautiful as some of this stuff was there there were certain things where you felt like oh i needed a goddamn arrow flow chart to tell me what what you know word balloon and or caption to read in what order left or left right or down right and left you know right. maybe you know it's like one of those things it's like if it's going to be that confusing you know number coded or 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 give me a, a directional arrow or something like that i think like you you mentioned derek like how like Dwayne mcduffie like lauded this story and i think he actually says something like this story is basically like a novel like in comic book form and it like it's true like they're it's so dense when it comes to the the descriptive captions and like yeah like the purple prose and like all that stuff so yeah that's what i was gonna mention too i mean like to be honest like i really enjoyed these 12 issues that we read one of the few notes i did have for you guys was still you know to ask you which artist you preferred we've we've already gotten to that but like i didn't really have a problem with the prose talking about you know, you know, whatever wasn't on the page, whether it's a sunset or Black Panther smacking somebody on the butt or whatever, it's just okay. I, you know, I'm reading that description, and it, it's not on the panel. Um, maybe it's because I read constantly, but like, you know, I can see what they're describing. I can see the panel in my head, and then go to the panel on the page and see, you know, Black Panther is like got his arms on his woman, and they're like, you know kissing like during a sunset or whatever like it just to me it flowed really well but i i do get what you guys are saying you know sometimes you don't know which panel to go to and you know sometimes the imagery you know in your head gets confused and then it doesn't you know it's not making sense in your head and then it's not making sense on the panel but you know that being said like i really did enjoy these 12 issues i enjoyed the story and i like the art i like the rich buckler art but i also really like the billy graham art and you know i'm i'm not a huge luke cage fan but i have read some of like the 70s issues so i am kind of like familiar with billy graham's style and you know it's it's kind of interesting derek said it's kind of like gritty cartoony it's kind of like sam keith art yeah 
I was going to say, and maybe this is too out there, but like it kind of reminded me a little bit of maybe like a Robert Crumb. Because you know, like oh, yeah, he, yeah. he has this very he has a he, very unique he, he style. He draws girls with big booties. <laughs> he has a very unique style where he can draw this very cartoony caricature of a person, but it'll be like gloriously like detailed. But he could also like, you know, he can draw like a portrait of someone, or he can draw like a you know street scene with like people walking down the street, and it'll look you know perfect like it'll you know the people will look like really for real people not like his exaggerated you know cartoony style so that's what kind of like that's what you know when derek said it it felt a little like greedy cartoony like that's kind of like what i feel about like you know billy Graham's style like especially in luke cage because there's like some i don't know exaggerated faces of like gangsters oh, yeah yeah thugs and that i'm just like this is kind of like a little you know, a, a little cartoony, but like I, you know, I I didn't know that he was African American, so that's kind of interesting. But uh, but yeah, like I really like the the art for all this, and you know, some of the proportions were a little off. There was one panel where like I I forget like Black Panther is taking up most of the page, and he's like flexing his muscles or straining or something, and he's way too bulky. I mean, he's like Bane bulky. And I was just like, okay, I like, I think, I think Jim Shooter, if he was working, he would have probably <laughs> sent that one back. But yeah. Well, I, I also agree with you. The art is good on many levels, despite different artists. I, I really can't pick one that I would like because it does flow really well. I noticed the changes, but it was all detailed and gritty and really good. It was, I mean, not to sound like, you know, Puntastic, but it was jungle action. You know, we had snakes, we had lions, we had rhinos, we had leopards, we had white gorillas, and, and like it, all of those, like, really, like, when I read this, I did notice the small change when the artist, you know, did go from, you know, different styles, but it, it really meshed together really well. And the Black Panther always looked kind of the same. I mean, you know, sometimes he would have eyes. Sometimes he would have non, you know, X-Men, you know, white slits. But it was always usually when he was angry and, like, you know, filled with the Panther's rage. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. You know, it's like when he's normal, he has, you know, T'Challa's eyes underneath the mask. But when he's, like, pissed off, he has, like, the Batman eyes. He has the eye slits. And I think every artist actually kind of encompassed that. And I think a lot of these people work together with each other to kind of bring forth that idea. You know, it's like when T'Challa gets mad, when you piss off the Black Panther, you're going to get your ass kicked. I think one of the things I wanted to bring up in terms of the art, and I, I you know, I, I know that a lot of laudits and praise are, are going to, to the creative team in sense of, you know, this is, this is, it has a great deal of originality and there's there's lots of fun concepts and everything uh, and and this is not to decry from any of the good things about the story or anything but one thing i noticed was i i felt like a lot of the opening splash pages with the titles and everything like they really gave me a vibe of carmine infantino designed dc they comics were really covers they were, they were. because you know i i don't know if you're familiar with some of the more famous ones but like the the ones that immediately come to mind is there's there's the cover from like aquaman 42 where black mana's like got aquaman and he's holding him up like you know bane holding up batman and everything like that and below 
them, you know, on the ocean floor is the Aquaman logo kind of merged into the ocean floor. I, I know exactly what you're talking about when you they're know. swimming with the tortoises, and that's a great splash place. That, that's, like, amazing, yeah. Yeah, and there's 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 lots of instances in that where they they specifically, like, try to tie in the 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 title sequences to the environment you know it's it's like made up of you know the hills or you know what you're talking about tony with the the tortoises that they're they're kind of surfing like they're legolas and two towers or whatever you know like that that <laughs> yeah kind of like thing. half the half the uh titles above the water and half of us below the water you like scroll down and you're like oh my god that's like fucking great like yeah title yeah or, or this thing where that you know the title is Malice by Crimson Moonlight, like, and all the the sort of panels are in these gigantic letters and everything. It almost has a, a sort of uh, in the heat of the night vibe to it. But I mean, they they all feel like you know, like besides that Aquaman cover, you know, it's like there's that Flash cover where all the rogues are like hiding between the letters in you know the the Flash's. Title they, they, they feel like proper chapter introductions, yeah. You know, so yeah, but I, I I thought there were a lot of cool kind of you know designs as far as that goes, and and that that's kind of what what it reminded me of. Um, do you have anything else as far as like the art goes, Mike? That you want to add or anything? Or no, I mean, I I generally liked it. I mean, I think like I didn't really make a like I didn't like catch any like real like. I don't know how to say this. Like you, you, you definitely had a preference for like, you know, the rich buckler stuff or whatever, but I was, I thought like they kept a pretty like consistent, like style throughout oh, yeah. it. So yeah. I, I didn't think, yeah, I didn't really notice. Well, that, that, that's kind of why I thought, I thought this must be full scripted. Cause, cause uh, I mean, how he, he had to have told the people like, Oh, you know, put this title into the mountainside, you know, put this title into the pan, you know, put the panels into the letters. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. not like it's not like just Rich Buckler did it, and then all of a sudden it it got dropped from the lexicon of this story arc. It's like he, you could tell he he was always communicating with the, the you know whoever it was, the colorist, the letterer, even if he had problems with them, and yeah, and 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 all those people to to make it this sort of you know consistent novel, like 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 Dwayne McDuffie sort of describes it as. One of the things I really like is because we have Eric, you know, Deathmonger. He's the main bad guy. <laughs> but we have... Killmonger? Killmonger. Yeah, Deathmonger. To Killmonger. Tony, Tony went on record in saying he was going to get everybody's name purposely wrong for this, uh, this I episode, did, I right? did. Before you came on, yeah. Yeah, like, T'Challa's, like, you know, most faithful aides are Windows 94 and Togu Thursdays and... <laughs> <laughs> that 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 for for the people listening at home that want to know the real names it's wakabe and taku yeah yeah so i mean it's on purpose i know their names but i'm, I'm terrible at, like saying things well, wakabe wakabe is basically his head chief of security it's like his his you know right hand man but it seems like because because T'Challa went to America and 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 watched you know american cartoons and hooked up with an american chick and hung out with the Avengers and everything. He's he he's definitely, well, no, he's just, you know, no, he he, he's a traditionalist. Like he, yeah. you know, he's, he's, he's kind of like, what's with all these outside influences? Like, have you forgotten, you know, what it means to be king of Wakanda? And, and, you know, he's, he's kind of like a good first officer in a way. He's, he's, he's presenting, you know, counter arguments due to his decision-making. 
he's he's the Riker to Charles Picard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, he's he's definitely super aggressive about it, and and he's got his own set of personal problems. You know, it's not like everything's you know wine and roses like it is with Riker when he's handing out tips and action figures to all his fans. But you know, but but he does he does present you know some some good you know kind of alternative advice to t'challa throughout the course of of the storyline and it's it's almost at the cost of his own personal life you know him fulfilling this duty to his king you know he's he he seems to be good at that but you know i mean as they go into detail in the story the chandra is like like feeling it yeah the the relationship between his wife you know it's like there's there's domestic abuse going on there and and you know his his kids you know he is a part of the hank Hank Pym slapping squad, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I really like the villains in this because I thought they did a really good job of making a rogues gallery. We have, you know, of course, Eric, Death, Murder, Stone, Blood, Kill You. <laughs> <laughs> and then we also have Venom, who is me and Derek's probably favorite. We have Malice. Who is pretty cool. I, I just wanna I just wanna say before we go any further, I always knew Eddie Brock was a two faced poser and now I've been proven <laughs> right. Yay <laughs> The original Venom. Can somebody can somebody please tell me that Colin Bunn like gave this Venom with two M's like a little cameo in that Venom verse thing? Because that would be like super cool if if one of the Venoms of the millions of Venoms in that storyline was this Venom. Right, yeah. Yeah, because this is Venom, but with two M's. Yeah, and he, he's 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 a very uh snarky guy. <laughs> I love him, and he actually, I mean, sorry, spoiler alert, he does kind of have kind of a hero turn at the end, which I fucking loved. I was like, God damn yeah, it! Yeah, I really liked his his little arc there. I was when he showed up, I was like, okay, I've never seen this guy before. He he's he's totally seventies, you know, this guy with like. I mean, his face is scarred, but it looks like he's wearing like you know, a mask. Like he, he kind of reminds me of like a, a he kind of reminds me of like an '80s wrestler or something. But then he gets captured, and he, you know, one of T'Challa's guys like establishes this rapport with him while while he's in prison. Like he keeps going, and you know, he's just like talking to him and you know, spending time with him. And he he even like goes to like check on his snakes while he's in prison. Like I I really like the way that that friendship evolved, you know, even, even when he like breaks out, he's like, you know, I don't want to kill you, but if I have to, I will, D you know, don't make me do it. But then, you know, like, you know, like Tony said, he does have like a little hero turn at the end. And I was like, Oh, that's really cool. Like, I really, I really like the journey of that character. Like he starts out, he's just like, you know, Oh, look out, it's venom. He's been bitten by a million snakes and he's going to get you. And then at the end, he's like, you know, he's, you know he's not a good guy, but still, you you see that like he certainly takes a side against Killmonger yeah. towards the end, based on as you're saying his friendship with Taku, who is the 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 guy he he makes friends with and everything. Now this this was something that Mike and Tony were asking me before the show. I think because I became super invested in that character. <laughs> as far as you know the the storyline goes like i was just curious what you know what was the eventual fate or you know what were what were the the future appearances uh, for, of... for, for anybody who's wanting reference at the end of this arc he flies off in a jet and he goes somewhere and and then of course i i discovered something too which i don't think anybody here 
on the show knows. So I'm I'm curious if I'm about to blow everybody's mind or whatever. But okay. So so I'm reading the introduction by Don McGregor to the Marvel Masterwork, and they start talking about the character Venom with two M's. And I've read the 18 issues already. I'm just reading this introduction, you know, for reference purposes. And I think, you know, I may learn some things. I may get some insight, which is, you know, some of the stuff I've already been sharing with you guys. You know, the stuff about the letterer and colorist and, and different things like that. But when it comes to Venom and Taku, he says, even though it wasn't specifically spelt out, those two characters I wrote as homosexual. And I, I, that was my intent with those two characters, that they, they formed a relationship and everything. And so, so I had no idea. And I was kind of like, I didn't take it that way in this arc. And so I was kind of, well, I, I'm, I don't know. I don't know if you guys did or didn't or whatever, if you picked up on that at all. I, I don't, I think maybe that was his intent in this arc, but I don't think it was, you know, communicated because of the time and the era and it had to be you know, it was so subtle, it pr- pretty much didn't exist as far as that goes. The subtext was, was you know, non-existent, basically. But just, just to finish my train of thought is I did go on to read other appearances of the character. And so Venom, with two M's, does continue to be a part of T'Challa's court alongside Taku. And, you know, the the regular kind of cast of characters in this miniseries called Panther's Prey, which Don McGregor also wrote, but that was later in the 80s. And so a lot of time has passed. And that, I mean, you, it's subtle, but it's subtle in the sense that, like, you know, remember uh, Cap's best buddy or whatever that uh, Red Skull called the fop? What's his name? Artie, whatever his name was. I can't think of his name now. But basically, like, it was one of those things where, like, you knew, but nobody outright came and said it it was like he had a partner and this and that and the other thing so so you, you kind of knew that that was what they were going for and so i felt like in that panther's prey thing i i kind of quickly perused like issues 2 and 4 because venom appears in them you know as as a a main character and everything and i think mike would like it too only because there's this cia agent in it that hangs out at wakanda you know an american cia agent and whoever i i don't know who the artist is but I swear to God, the guy looks like Bill Cosby. So it's like, I'm here with the CIA Panther, and I'm doing the bobbing and the bobbing and the bibbs and the bopping or whatever. And I was like, I was like, oh, I guess that's intentional or something. Cause I, you know, I don't know to, to sort of distinguish him from, from the other Wakandan characters, I think in, in Panther's crew. He's the I spy Bill Cosby. Yeah. Anyway, but sorry, I'm, I'm getting on a tangent, but I'm just pointing out things I, I quickly noticed and, and thought were kind of amusing or whatever. But my point is, is, it's it's a little it's a little more obvious because one of the subplots is you know Wakabe being you know security and given the events that happened to him in this series he you know he loses his arm and and in no small way is that a result of of you know Venom's jailbreak and and different things like that. Well, you say it's like a deathlock arm, basically. Yeah, yeah, and so 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 there are moments where Wakabe is kind of like, well, we know who the spy in Panther's Court is. Clearly it's Venom because he was a bad guy from before. And, and you know, Venom, I think, he kind of reminds me of like his his speech and dialogue. Like he, he almost reminds me of like a 70s version, like a proto-crossbones. 
you know, like the, the his speech and how he he tries to simplify things and like you know he he kind of you know he starts off as a villain, but he seems like you know like like you know eventually that he he sort of becomes this kind of he he's a scary guy. He likes snakes, but that you know he he seems like once he kind of mellows out and and makes friends with Taku, basically he's he's like an okay guy. And so in that in that mini series, he essentially like gets accused of being a traitor and and one of the comments is well you know you got the codes to taku's room you know like you're in there every night you know so it's like it's like it's 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 a lot less subtle i think you know as the as the series progresses and everything like that and so so and that you know whatever i mean to me i was fine with that because he's still part of panther's crew and and his arc is is maintained you know like he he went from being a really cool bad guy and then he sort of had that hero turn as tony calls it and then he's still part of that and that even extends all the way into christopher priest run because you'll see like there's this big fight between panther's army and man apes army like at the tail end of the christopher priest run and and you know you can tell the difference between the armies because you see like panthers guys are in all the royal garb and i think man apes guys are all in like these sort of eskimo garb and so who's like leading the charge against all these eskimos is venom it's fucking venom <laughs> yeah you know so so it's like i'm sitting there going like oh okay cool like he's not just you know forgotten about or whatever now unfortunately i did see he showed up as uh, as a random smattering of bad guys in one of the the fear itself miniseries it was like the fearless or whatever and in that it's like he's just getting like knocked around by iron fist like he's just some other bad guy schmo which well they're, they're, they're probably just like being like oh yeah snake he's bad <laughs> yeah yeah and so so i was like well that's too bad i mean i i, I think it's like i maybe whoever saw him probably had my first impression when i only read like they probably thought he was part of service society yeah well no just that when i read the first issue of this you know maybe all they saw was that first issue that he was a bad guy and they didn't they didn't read the whole novel basically they only read one chapter so they didn't know any better but that's that's kind of unfortunate it's 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 funny like you mentioned like that stuff about venom and taco because like when i was reading their scenes like together in the like the, the prison and like their talks i was like is this ship bait? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, no, it's way too early for that, like sort of thing. Like you I, were I, like, wrong. I was wrong. Yeah, though. I was like, okay, wow. You, you know, honestly, Derek, since you've like you know expanded upon this, you know, told me what's going on. I, I really, I thought like you know, Taku was just like being a friend, like a. No, that's 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 entirely how i read this arc like i i did not see any other layers and like i said i think this is so subtle that you know i mean i i guess maybe mike's more uh observant than any of us because at least he he kind of had the thought to himself before i even mentioned it and and i have to admit when i read the forward in the the marvel masterwork i was kind of like but what as as Justin <laughs> likes to say, you know, I was kind of like, what? yeah, yeah, I was like, I was like, for reals. And then and then, you know, when I started looking at some of those further appearances, then I started to see it where I was like, oh, yeah, he's he's got the codes to his room and they're they're hanging out all the time. And there's kind of like a sad scene because Bill Cosby puts like a, a spy <laughs> chip 
in his snake. And then <laughs> Panther no more jello puddings. <laughs> well, well, because because he's not the spy, right? He's a good guy, you know, Venom, and is part of the you know quote unquote royal court or whatever. So he's not been spying on them. But then all of a sudden they're like, "Give me your snake," and it's like, "Don't take my snake." And then he takes the snake. He has to cut it open because there's like this CIA spy chip in there. And Bill he, he really like, does love the snake. I'm sorry, I put the bippin and the boppin in your snake and stuff. And I was like, "Oh, that sucks," because he's sitting there. I think the snake's name is like Matilda or something and he's like all like heartbroken because panther had to like you know cut open the snake to get the spy chip and now the snake's fucking dead so he's like oh man you killed my snake you know so i was like kind of sad for him but anyway that's you know spoilers but you know that that i i was obviously invested in the character enough to find out you know sort of what what became of him no he, he has an arc yeah you know it doesn't have arc malice uh, Salamander, fucking, what's his name? Cruel, Salamander, cruel. What'd you What'd you guys think of the uh, what's his name, King Cadaver, like the the, the guy with the big giant vegetable head or whatever? Like, I mean, he was kind of outrageous and fit, I think, Billy Graham's style well. You know that that kind of reminds me of what Justin was saying—the kind of outrageous caricatures you would see in a in a Luke Cage comic. Like he, King Cadaver is certainly an outrageous caricature i i think king cadaver actually kind of threw me off because i was like he's this big moldy swamp head and everything else is really realistic like even like you know eric like blood sports kill me and everything like he he's like he's a guy with like a big ass fucking spiky whip but he's got like this moss head with him and i'm like king cadaver he seems more like a brother voodoo villain to me than like a you know black panther villain yeah, I, I just assumed he was wearing a mask, and then in one of the panels it states, you know, like, when Black Panther is, you know, grappling with him, like, he's grabbing at his head, and he discovers it's not a mask, it's real, and I was just like, oh, well, that's that's interesting, because, you know, like, like Tony said, most of these characters, even though they're over the top, like Venom and whatnot, like, they're all, you know, real people, or at least human looking and this guy totally isn't so it kind of you know it kind of threw me too for a minute i i thought that was kind of surprising because i i mean i know i'm jumping the gun talking about king cadaver but you've got what baron macabre you know like or macabre you know like and and his follow well his followers like i think when they you know how they first come up and like i i think i literally thought they were all zombies that one issue they totally they totally sold it really good yeah yeah and and, but but later you know they kind of say oh these are just his guys that are you know faking it you know like they they've got really good walking dead makeup or whatever you know and they and they they're part of this weird kind of cult or whatever that 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 do that kind of thing and and i was just kind of like oh wow they're not you know, I, I literally, I, I took it literally at first that they were, they were like, you know, corpses coming back to life to, to beat up the Black Panther. But it, then it, it turns out they're, cause, cause he, he, he gets one of them and he's like, yeah, I will make you a real fucking corpse if you don't tell me what the fuck's going on. And then the guy's like, okay. Yeah. Like, like he's, he like spoke, he was like, oh, you can speak. So you're not really dead. Yeah. 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 So like there was, there was that aspect to it where I was kind of like, oh, okay, that's that's interesting as well you know you know who else i want to bring up and they're not i guess they're not technically villains but tony doesn't want to use real names so if tony was talking about these guys he would probably call them the rosencrantz and gildenstern of panther's rage <laughs> you know actually I, I i love those guys those guys are fucking amazing uh, uh tateu and uh the dombe 
I'm sorry. It's, it's uh, Kazibe and Teete, I'm guessing, is how you pronounce their names. Yeah, I, I call them Karibo and uh, Tetris. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, yeah, they, I mean, they... Tag they, and Bink. Yes, Tag and Bink. They, 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 have a, they, they, they have a definite arc. You know, they start out as, as you know, subservient to, to Killmonger. But, you know, sort of by the end of it, you can see they're almost semi-harmless and they're they're almost rooting for the the you know panther devil as they call him throughout the course of this run you know by the end of the arc you know where it's it's yeah. almost comical you know where they're they're taken off in a plane and the guy's loincloth gets stuck in the the wheels or whatever and then all this goofy stuff kind of happens to these guys so i mean i i guess you know in that sense where there were there there were definitely lots of serious aspects to this story arc you know that dealt with you know some of of T'Challa's subjects getting killed, like in the whole, you know, Baron Macabre thing, like one of his subjects, you know, the the old man or whatever, he gets killed, and there there there's lots of the servant girl killed his one of his like right you know... right one of one of his lieutenants right yeah. like basically and she pins the the murder on Monica Lynn who is his yeah. his you know girlfriend who he brings you know the the outworlder girlfriend that that nobody in the the royal cabinet likes especially her yeah you know yeah especially th that lady like she she she's part of that miniseries later because she comes back with like a vengeance where she's like hell hath a you know a woman scorned or whatever you know like like that that chick comes back Z zatama i think is her name Zika, i think yeah yeah so she's she's she she gets pissed off. And... I think her name is Tartar Control Crest. I think is the name. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I know I'm terrible. I know, but no, that that is actually a good murder mystery too, because it's 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 like about three issues long, which is really good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I you know to 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 agree with Justin, I mean, I I didn't know if if all the talk about this was hyperbole or not, but I I legitimately you know, really did enjoy reading this entire arc. And I, I, I think, you know, as far as something that was specifically designed to be, you know, a graphic novel and tell a story from beginning, middle to end, like I, I thought it did its job admirably. I, you know, like I said, I, I, I would have loved to live in the alternate fringe universe where I could see maybe Rich Buckler do the art the whole way through. But I, you know, that, that's not to fault the work that was done by Billy Graham at all. You know, like I, I think it all worked and, you know, that that kind of narrative, I guess, you know, if, if this is, you know, it seems like this is definitely the first of its kind. And, and it's it, it was, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad I, you know, I, I guess let me put it this way. It's like I, I have not gone on to read some of the, the follow up stuff after this. Like I said, I just dabbled in some of the either the the you know official additional issues of jungle action which i think mike read some of those and then and then i i feel like the real because it's like i i guess the the story didn't finish and originally he planned to write something about south africa and apartheid and i guess that ended up becoming realized in marvel comics presents and that was called panther's quest and it's like you know what i probably bought some of those issues of marvel comics presents when i was a kid but like i bet you you know with me i was like oh i just read the issues about like you know i read the stories about like cyclops and colossus and wolverine and the rest of the stuff in the backups so i was like who gives a shit about stuff so I, i'm probably <laughs> sure i didn't read it at the time but like now i kind of i'm, I'm kind of like now that i know like oh if don mcgregor wrote this it's continuing 
his narrative here. So I was like, oh, I, I kind of want to check that out and, and actually sit down and read the entirety of, of Panther's Prey. You know, I, I just kind of quickly went through those second and, and fourth issues just to get an idea of what had happened to, you know, Venom with two M's, who's way better than Eddie Brock. Yeah, like he was the standout villain to me because like I am like a little afraid of snakes. So like every time like he was kind of, you know, either showering T'Challa in snakes or like, you know, they had to fight over that snake pit or, you know, whatever. I was kind of like, Ugh. I think one of the things I liked about these issues is it's so varied in its content. I mean, you have so many different elements coming together to make up this one story because you have T'Challa coming home after spending, you know, a great amount of time away. And not everyone is happy with him. Not everyone is happy to see him. Not everyone is happy with the advancements he's brought to his country. His girl, his girlfriend, is kind of made to like an outsider by his inner circle. You know, you have a murder mystery where she's framed for the murder, and you have different adventure elements. Like a lot of these issues, kind of felt like maybe they were cri cribbed or maybe just inspired by a lot of like Tarzan stories because you have like yeah, T'Challa yeah. going to like. You know, freezing mountains, land of mist. You've got dinosaurs, crocodiles. That, that's the thing I was I was wondering about as I was reading this because I I know when he he goes to fight the the white gorillas and he's like in almost the Arctic. I was like, wait a minute, where the fuck are they? Because yeah. like, I was like sitting there, it's like one a minute he's like sort of in the African jungle and he's about to like row across, you know, some kind of you know, jungle swamp water or whatever and the next minute it's like he's he's in, you know, basically he's on Hoth and I was just like or, or you know, he's in the mountains of Kilimanjaro or whatever and I was just like what? what? Like, what happened? And, like, I, I honestly did not know, but I'm like, there are dinosaurs in Wakanda? Like, since when? Like, I, I, I didn't have any idea about this stuff. Like, I, I was even thinking of yeah. you when I, when like I read I the issue because when he, when T'Challa, like, throws that giant rock into the T-Rex's head and makes it tumble down, I was like, dude, I was like, that's totally, like, last dinosaur yeah, that's right there. Yeah. I was I was like did I I was like kind of looking back a few pages where I'm like there's got to be some line about them being like imported from the savage land or something like that. Where do you get dinosaurs from? Wholesale from you know Craigslist. It, you know that that's interesting. Like we I mean Tony brought this up, but we 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 probably should talk about this. I mean there there is a certain level of escalation in terms of all the various beasts that T'Challa fights and or kills throughout the course of this i mean what it's like he he brings down like a rhinoceros he he snaps the 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 neck of a alligator or a crocodile he he fights snakes he's he, he fights what the 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 the, the t-rex the pterodactyl wolves. yeah wolves yeah see like there's all kinds of yeah definitely like there, there's definitely a narrative of i guess you know literally jungle action going on in the in in the course of the the story well i i think one of the biggest things about this narrative especially as long as it's gone on is despite knowing that t'challa is still a character in the marvel universe even knowing this was printed in the 70s i was actually worried about him he was like bleeding getting hurt and like i made a joke about it but like He's getting fucked up. You're, you're, you're worried about the guy. And that is a really good storytelling element. Knowing that, like, the, the guy who's supposed to be the hero 
might die because i mean heroes do come back you know they could resurrect them and you know you you, you actually feel the weight of him because he's going up against big ass bad guys and honestly eric you know death monger kill monger blood monger kill you in with my belt is is a good villain and you know i'm not going to ruin the ending but like the ending is also very poetic and it's very well done and it's a really satisfying bookend because if you read the first two issues and go all the way through and dedicate yourself to reading it, you get a satisfying ending. And like it, it's, 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 it's a really good fucking story. It's like this guy does everything he, he can, and he goes from being this incredibly big outsider to realizing what he cares about in his home. And that that's that's just really good storytelling. It's just it's really it was really a good really good read. And the more I read, the more I wanted to read. And that's how a serialized story should be. You know, when you get the cliffhanger, you want to read more. When you, like, see the end, you're like, oh, what can I read next? Is Black Panther going to survive? You know, it's like, and, that, and that's, that's, that's just amazing. That, and I think the guys who did this, it doesn't matter, like, who the writers were, the artists were, you know, who switched up things, mainly the artist. But it, it told a really good story. You know, like you were talking about Tony like earlier and you like Derek just mentioned how like the Panther like kills a bunch of like beasts like one after the other and like issues in this like. But, you know, like I I didn't feel bad for any of those animals because like they were trying to like like kill him and stuff. But you know what? I did feel bad, like really bad, like the, the scene that really stuck with me was when Killmonger tosses, I think it's Taya into the tar and there's like a bird trapped in there too and oh, like he, yeah. he tries yeah. to save it but Killmonger's like oh don't don't bother like with the bird like whatever right and the bird like stays in the tar and then at the end of the issue you see the bird still in the tar and the issue closes on like the bird just closing its eyes and giving up and I was like oh like that that made me like really that yeah that, that really stuck with me like it yeah, yeah it, it, it's just because Black Panther didn't know that bird was there but Killmonger did know that yeah, like it was just it was kind of I, I always I when when an artist can make me feel bad for an animal that like might not be like, you know, exactly the most like domestic animal, I guess like that. That's a I, I consider that like a, a triumph, like on the artist's part. I'm, I'm I guess dovetailing maybe away from the animal stuff a bit, but maybe going back into the art a little bit, the 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 the. I guess aftermath issue or the epilogue issue where like epilogue is like hovering as a cloud throughout the whole <laughs> background and everything like that. What do you, like, I don't know. Madam Slay kind of made me think of Calypso. Like, like it's like, what? Yeah. Kill, Killmonger had this girlfriend the whole time that nobody knew about. And now she's, she's pissed off and her toe stubbed. She, and, she like, was, she, supp- she was supplying him with leopards. Like, like yeah. that wasn't the first prey. Like every time a, a leopard dies, she sends him a new one. Every time Killmonger leaves him in a, a oil tar <laughs> yeah. pit to get slain, she just, and what was like? I, I was kind of like she kind of got like injustice night winged or something like at the end. She just like fell and banged her head on a rock, and then it was like, well, she did. Like goodbye. Like, well, I mean, at least we got like slap chop with the new arm. So yeah, Wakabe. I know I'm terrible with names, Derek. You know, 
No, I mean your your thing is you're gonna say it wrong, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it right so that that anybody listening can can have both versions. That's also like a very interesting story point as far as like her, not so much, but Wakabe. He has this metal arm now. He has a cybernetic arm, and he's actually scared of the technology, which is actually a pretty good story point. He's like, I can fire lasers and shit, and like he's he's an African tribesman. He doesn't stay scared of it because when I think the Panther, like against his wishes, like goes on TV and announces he's gonna be engaged to Monica Lynn in the miniseries, and then it like cuts back to Wakabe back in Wakanda, and he's like shooting up the fucking trees, like that's not what I fucking meant. Yeah, like he's all pissed <laughs> off and shit. So I think I think he gets over it pretty quickly. Even though I I intentionally made like you know myself seem silly because I mispronounced the names. There was one point where the young child, who was basically not orphaned, but his mother's still alive, but his father died, they actually misspelled his name in the fucking comic. It's in the last issue. Know what, know what a scene I really liked with Taku was when that village was under attack and like he, the kid the kid got killed and he just like this, and then he like this, loses his shit yeah and there's yeah. like that series of panels of him getting closer and closer to that guy who's like shooting him and stuff yes. and he finally like almost beats the guy to death yeah yeah Carnage a- yeah Lord Carnage yeah yeah no that, that 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 was like that was really good that was like really fucking emotional I, I felt bad it was like. I'm an old guy, and it kind of remind me of like a Rambo moment, kind of. Derek, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Because there's, yeah, there's, I mean, the, the the there were lots of sort of collateral damage and and innocent people that were getting affected by this war between, you know, Killmonger and the Panther. So yeah, and and, and that's kind of, you know, Taku, he was he, it seemed like he was always, you know, he he's very considerate. He he kind of is very soft-spoken uh, yeah but but also kind of deliberate you know like he, he he's always looking for a solution to a problem and and trying to do it in you know you know not resorting to violence so it's like it, it's also a, a key moment to where you, you see even a guy like that can be driven to rage based on the kind of injustice that was being perpetrated you know he's like he he, he had enough you know he's like it's like this guy's a fucking asshole <laughs> he deserves to get the shit kicked out of him and everything you know so oh and by, and by the way i want to let everybody who's listening know in this comic you know t'challa's supporting cast his court as you will i'm fucking up their names on purpose but they are all really good characters and i really yeah, enjoyed yeah. like all their arcs so don't get me wrong i'm not yeah. making fun of them they're they're like really good characters yeah, I'm kind of, you know, it's funny. I mean, I, like I said, that's why I was focusing on Don McGregor as a writer, because I know he is not going to abandon those characters. And and I do see that, that you know, I, I, I have, you know, like I said, it's been a long time since I read the Christopher Priest run, but I know that, you know, Monica Lynn and, and Taku and Wakabe, characters like that do go on to appear in that run. I, I don't know. I, I think... I don't know what happens to them after that. I like, think, yeah, honest, like, Hudlin just tosses them and, like, re- re- hmm. redoes Black Panther's, like, whole, like... So- whole history. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and I, well, I think, like, I think, like, he has them show up later, but it's, like, 
it's like they show up, but you're like, well, wait. But if you redid his like origin and stuff, like then all these guys like didn't exist or like well, even even the fact that like in Hudlin's run that Wakanda is like super technologically advanced in world. Yeah, that that kind of goes yeah, against this like, entire yeah. arc. Yeah, and that, that's one thing I really liked about this. Like I said, I, I want to call it a mini series within a series. Uh, Wakanda actually does have a lot of African tribal like you know roots. But Wakanda as a nation does have like, you know, the spire has like the, you know, the panther citadel and stuff, but it's like a juxtaposition, you know, it's like there's these tribesmen who like remember the old ways and there's some of these, you know, like the medicine man, he like, you know, tries to inject Coda's like, you know, mom with the needle and she's like, fuck you. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, what's this? What's this syringe thing? Yeah, yeah. She's like, what the hell's going on? And she rejects Monica because Monica's trying to help her. And like that that's like that's like really good drama. That's like a really good like you know, way of saying, you know, like just because we're moving into a modern world, it doesn't mean everybody's ready for that, you know? And I thought that was like a really impressive way to do that because that's what T'Challa is dealing with. He's bringing his, his country into the modern age. But there's people against that, just like his, you know, chief security and even, you know, Toku is Toku is like more on his side because he's very silent. But, you know, we have the whole dichotomy with Kabe and Chandra, his wife, and Chandra leaves him at the end of the series, which is heartbreaking. I, I felt bad. You know what was funny? I, I, I guess just on, on a random tangent, I know, you know, Mike sort of saw the seeds of, of Taku and, and Venom, maybe, you know, the, the you know, saw the hints of the shipping or whatever. You, you know what vibe I got out of it? Like, there, there were a lot of moments when Panther's out there getting wrecked and his, his, his costume's getting torn up and it's like he's near death, like, at the end of every issue. And, you know, he always stumbles back and, and Monica's there to, like, sort of... I thought Taco you know, and Monica were going to hook him. up, too. Yeah, I totally, I totally... That's kind of what I thought was going to happen. I was like, oh, you evil bitch. I hope you don't hook up with Taku. Like, when Panther comes back all, you know, bloody and, and torn and, you know, bones broken and everything. Like, I, I kind of thought maybe they were going to go there where it was going to be this romantic love triangle thing where it's like, oh, you know, I, I love you too, Monica Lynn or whatever. Because when they were like right on tortoises, she was like, you're so much like Taku. <laughs> yeah, and I was just kind of like, huh, like, like I, I, I guess... You know, I don't know, but that that was something that occurred to me that never seemed to come to be realized. And then when I read that forward in the Marvel Masterworks, I'm all, oh, well, no shit. Then I guess it would never, you know, I guess I was way off base with that. Oh, I, I was going to say, like, I read a little beyond, like, Panther's Rage and, like, in the next arc... Like, they introduced this American, like, reporter named Michael Trueblood, I think his name is. Like, I looked up to see if he was, like, still around. And I guess, like, after Panther dumps Monica, like, he hooks up with Monica. Huh. Oh, okay. Yeah, huh. but then but then I guess he, mu he must, like, fade into limbo or something later on, like, whenever Monica shows up again. Yeah, because, yeah, because Derek said Monica was, like, crying, singing during, like, the Ororo and... T'Challa wedding, so yeah, yeah. It's like that. That kind of sucks. Man, this is this is really a good arc. It was really fucking good. The art is amazing from all the artists. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really fun. And you know what? The purple prose didn't piss me off. I had to learn how to read it 
And that's maybe my fault, maybe the letterer's fault, whoever, I don't care. But there's a lot of really amazing descriptive writing in this, and it makes you get drawn into it. Like I said, I was making fun of, like, you know, T'Challa bleeding every episode in the comic, but you felt his hurt. You felt his pain, and you're like, oh, man, come on, Black Panther, you know, come on, like, beat beat that motherfucker's ass. You know, that's epic storytelling. Yeah, the, the prose is Claremontian, but not, I, I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean that in, like, a, you know, pre-1995 good X-Men Claremont prose way, not in a freaking, you know, Neo Excalibur X-Men <laughs> the End way or whatever, you know? So just to clarify that. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I think the main praise I can laud on this is man, I'm glad I got this off my list. You know, like this is this was this was a good thing to have on the list and I'm I'm glad I read it. And and hopefully, you know, if, if anybody else out there listening hasn't, you know, hopefully maybe we've convinced some people to to check it out. Just a just a correction, because I'm just looking it up now. The guy the reporter's name was Kevin Trueblood. And yeah, it says after T'Challa loses his memory and is captured, True Blood and Monica become romantically involved and discuss marriage. But uh, it, it doesn't say what happens to him after that. I, I assume he was also crying when Storm and Black yeah, I guess, got married. Yeah. Either that or he was throwing a party. I don't know which. I, I liked this. Like, I, I thought it was pretty cool. And it, it definitely seems like something that's like, you know, like almost like a, a unheard of treasure or something that like not a lot of people like if you're not if the Black Panther isn't one of your favorite characters and you hear like, what is the definite like Black Panther story like that? It seems like this this is well earned when they you you like, you know, say Panther's Rage. So, yeah, like I, I'm glad I got to read this as well. What about you, Justin? Did you like like get it balls deep into this? I, I really enjoyed it. I liked it. It was good. <laughs> Simple, succinct, to the point. Director Fury, the internet is besieged with lame, lifeless podcasts. What we need is a hard-charging, foul-mouthed band of brothers with chemistry, big brains on comics, and personality. Personality goes a long way. What we need is the Marvel Superheroes Podcast. I'm a legal machine. Diabolu Frank. And I am Mr. Fixit. The Marvel Superheroes Get this motherfucking podcast off motherfucking iTunes. The Marvel Superheroes podcast can also be found on Shout Engine, Stitcher, the Internet Archive, and on Rolled Spine Podcasts blogs. So I, I think that wraps up our discussion on Panther's Rage, the seminal run from Jungle Action. If anyone has any comments, questions, and or concerns, they can reach us at fanholspodcast at gmail.com. If you are horribly offended about the Windows 94 instead of Wakabe, you can direct all hate mail to fanholspodcast at gmail.com. We are on Stitcher Radio. You can stream us there. We are on iTunes. We appreciate any five-star reviews. We're on all kinds of social media, Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. If you've enjoyed listening to comics, motherfucker, do you read them? We have plenty of other Fanholes spinoff shows. We've got Toku Thursdays, Transformers Tuesdays, Mobile Suit Mondays, Sentai Saturdays, Big in Japan, where we talk about anime, and, of course, Justice Not Entirely Like Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast, and the Fanholes podcast proper. 
And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, killing a white ape god. And you know, you know what they said about that? They said that, that they got like death bomb threat letters when he killed that white ape god because the guy thought he was saying that people should go out and kill a bunch of white people because he killed the white ape god or whatever. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I, I, I sort of, I got the subtext. He was like killing a religious icon and it's like, you know, People don't literally kill a religious icon, but figuratively, you may go through your own pangs with religion and, and, and you know, figuratively kill your religious icon in your head. But anyway, anyway, Derek, <laughs> Derek WC, signing off. Well, that was a pretty heavy thing to level on us at the end, but okay, yeah. Um, Sorry. Yeah. Hey, it's Mike, and I'm just saying that I have the cure for cancer, but I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> signing off. This is Justin, signing off. And Sideshow Bob and Carl from Carl Jr. Those are the best side characters ever. So, (laughs) (laughs) all right, guys, have a good night. I want to do this real quick, and we can edit this, but uh, you know. Just gonna do this real quick. Alright. Because we have to do looking up things. This doesn't seem very quick. It's not. It's really tedious and annoying. But give me like five seconds. God damn y'all. Because I want to get this right. So I feel bad now. We're calling Windows 95. <laughs> I'm just giving you shit. It's nothing to feel bad about. It, they got They got No, I, I don't think anyone's angrily emailed us ever. So yeah. You know. All right, and if they have, I've probably deleted it. So, <laughs> or we've we've made a whole response episode like we have with Cruiser Dave. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, and then I'm just gonna piss more people off then. <laughs> Justin's like, enough of this idiotic gifted drivel. I was like, I was like, I'm too lazy to type about this shit. <laughs> Who's like heat hands guy or light guy or no, is he supposed nobody, to be nobody knows. He's he he is you know made up McGee or whatever. Like I mean, they I don't know. They 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 had some interview with him where it's like. Well, you know, it's possible that he's, you know, I, he was trying to hint at like maybe he was, you know, the son of, you know, some famous characters or something like that or whatever. Mm. But like, I, I don't know. There's all these like internet speculations that don't really make any sense to me. Because it's like, well, you know, in the comics, Rogue and Magneto hooked up. And I'm like, yeah, in the fucking movies, it's Ian McKellen and Anna fucking Paquin. Come on. <laughs> what the fuck's wrong with you people? Like, yeah, and how does and how does Lorna Dane fit in all that shit? <laughs> the first the first time I heard that, it's like, oh, they're the Struckers. It's like it's like having a family called like the Hitlers or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know, I, I I was imagining like poor like Amy Acker being like, "How is school today, kids?" Hail Hydra! Like. <laughs> <laughs> I also watched um, about 40 minutes of the Inhumans thing. Mm, I'm sorry.
It's almost like the real Medusa's hair would have fought back and like thrown all those people away. Oh no, what no? I, I'm I was gonna wait a couple weeks, but then maybe I'll I'll open up that Medusa figure I have and do a head swap with the vulture and <laughs> you know, <laughs> run around looking like that. I don't know. Whoops, I'm on the top of this mountain and Lockjaw left me here. Hmm, dur, 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 what am I gonna do? And he's like, let me nice. let me feel the, the mountain like Captain Kirk going down it, but then I'm not very good at it. Whoop! Whoa! <laughs> you know, and it's just like, wait a minute, shouldn't you have like, you know, used your fucking Sherlock Holmes bullshit to figure out what the best fucking way to get down the goddamn mountain was? I mean, come on. <laughs> If you are completely cool with the idea of Gotham being a, like, fucking prestige format, like, you know, Elseworlds tale, this season's not actually too bad, actually. I heard Screech gets a costume. Barbara fucking Gordon's still there, but whatever. You have to, you know, take what you can get, but... Oh, yeah, I saw I only her. watched she the first two like I don't know what she looks like. She looks like she, uh, I don't know, belongs in like a Sweet Dreams video or something like that, an Annie Lennox <laughs> video or some shit. Yeah, she got some kind of weird 80s haircut. I don't know what's going on with her or some shit. <laughs> I, I mean, I did catch all that social media uproar where uh, uh, what's her nuts from The Walking Dead's like, I'm the first black Star Trek lead ever. And then you had like a bunch of fucking Ben Cisco gifts like holding their hands in their head like yeah. what the fuck's the matter with you like type thing. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be better if it just had like the Romulan guy going, It's a fake <laughs> I, I'm totally on board to uh uh go over uh Marvel Knights Black Panther one through six. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. I I read twenty four issues of Ant Man. I'm good. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> All right. Oh, I read the White Tiger. Mm. <laughs> mm. Which, which one wrong. did you watch? Wrong. <laughs> which wrong. White Tiger? Wrong color and wrong animal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, by the way, Justin, just get prepared for me and uh, Derek to really gush over how much we love Venom. Just just letting you know. You can't tell by their avatars. <laughs> That's a good Venom custom, too. You it is. Yeah, yeah, I just I, I stumbled upon it and was like, this must come to pass. I need this. <laughs> the Venom. The Venom. I need it. The Venom. The Venom. All right. <laughs> And remember when you when you double the last letter in your name, it just makes you cool. It makes you cool. That Eddie Brock is a poser. That's why Kill I always that's, knew that's it. Why Kill knew it. Killmonger named his leopard uh, prey with two Y's at the end too. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was just expecting to be like Cheetor, <laughs> Maxima, Cheetor with the two R's at the end. And then, like, either you don't really hurt Cheetor, like, fucking, like, 
his bitch was like in like the 18th issue was like you know like pray he lived oh he's just gonna like run and like bring you back to me and kill me god damn it pray you had one job <laughs> you're supposed to kill him god damn it I felt bad for like by the end, like T'Challa was getting like like really badly hurt like so often that like in that epilogue issue where the the two ch- uh, uh, leopards like run him across the desert or whatever, and by the time he's done, it's like his costume's all torn up. I'm like, geez, man, just when they thought you were out, like they pull you back in, T'Challa. Like you know, <laughs> you were all like patched up and everything, and now like you like your your costume's ruined again, and you probably opened up all your wounds. Yeah, he's bleeding everywhere, and he's like, man, yoga pants are not sturdy. Fuck. <laughs> it's religious, those yoga pants. That's why he's got to wear them. The, sac- the sacred re- religious yoga pants. <laughs> the, sa- the sacred yoga pants. T'Chaka told me the yoga pants would make my ass look good. Oh, my God, my ass is on the <laughs> ground. <laughs> That's good stuff. I feel sorry for uh, Monica Lynn. She got, like, the raw deal with the whole Aurora thing. Yeah. She, she, she kind of got pussy blocked instead of cop blocked. <laughs> well, like I said, don't, well, don't... What's, what's weird is it seemed like, it seemed like it was always his intent to marry them. And like, even in that miniseries that I looked at the couple issues of, I mean, they're literally engaged. And when Dwayne McDuffie wrote those issues of Deathlock, where he's in Wakanda and you know, the whole crew shows up, like they still introduce her. Like as this is Monica Lynn, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, T'Challa's fiance. So I I don't know about what um Mike was saying with the whole reporter guy, but at least uh, up until those Deathlock issues in the nineties, like that, I don't know if he was ignoring, you know, whatever, you know, relationship that uh, she had with that reporter guy, but. Even up to then, like they were still engaged. You know, it said like I, T'Challa loses his memories or something at some point. So hmm, like yeah, hmm. and then he's he he forgets he's yeah, engaged to her. I that's even we. That's even we. I the way it was explained to me was they they like that T'Challa pulled the whole you know uh, Spider Man you know Peter Parker at the end of Raimi Spider Man like I don't want you to get hurt girlfriend so go back to america or whatever and she's like okay i'm sad and she does it but then like you know later it's like apparently it's all good in the hood the storm or something because because i don't know because of sales i kind of feel bad for the feminists i kind of feel bad for the feminists who listen to us because like the first issue i was like even me i was like Lorna of the jungle it was like the whole like chapter was like oh Lorna we're going to the city you stupid jungle bitch go buy a dress stupid jungle bitch I'm a stupid jungle bitch okay stupid jungle bitch go do stuff I got knocked out I'm a stupid jungle bitch and then she's like haha you're stupider than a monkey and I'm like wow feminists would love that (laughs) I'm like I guess Tony read those backups I, I don't think I looked at those you know what it's really sad I read the the elephant one it made me sad I, I think that's my problem. Like backups are like the pirate shit and Watchmen. I'm like, I don't read that shit. <laughs> fuck that. Fuck that shit. That's not important. Well, the elephant one. The elephant one made me sad because it was like this really strong elephant, and he got older, and like a young elephant tried to kill him, and the uh, older elephant kept fighting, and he was like beaten up, and like the older, the younger elephant was like, I can't like take his like fucking crown because I, I've 
fought him and he fought bravely and he watched over him until he died. I'm like, fuck you, man. Making me have the fucking feels. (laughs) Over its course. Hang on one second, guys. Sorry. Yes? Can I help you? What's up? Hmm? Right now, uh, Derek's back is bleeding from many wounds. He's, he's going to take a minute. The deadly Dogosaurus strikes. <laughs> Why can't Windows 94 just be a good friend? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I I think that was the outtake on, like, the most recent episode, because, like, I I edited it, and it was like, I forget, you know, it was like me, Derek, and Tony, and, you know, the the outtake is like, you know, Derek talking to the dog. Oh yeah, at the end, and then Tony said, "I re- I, I just listened to that last new episode. I, I was laughing because uh, was it at the very end? Tony was like talking, and I, I forgot Derek was away from the the, the mic, and uh, I, I forgot Tony, you had a good line, but that's like how you ended the episode, Justin. Yeah. Oh, I, I think I said like, now I want to be in the other uh, uh, <laughs> universe or whatever. Yeah." Oh god, what was it? God, that's gonna look No, that off. that was the um Turtles show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, was... yeah, yeah. Sorry, guys. No, 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 you're fine. Just talking smack about you. Sweet. You were you were just you, you were just tied up to cactuses and pterodactyls were attacking you. It was cool. I had to rip my clothes so you could see what's going on under there. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo!